Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. Just kind of took a leap. I didn't have a plan. I'm fat. Ha ha. Have 99 problems. Finding someone who wants to have sex with me is not one. An irresistibly charming lady who says scary stuff about abortion all the time. <laughs> we can be the main characters of our own fucking lives. I'm Emily Rams, and I am the editor of Bust Magazine in Brooklyn, New York. I love talking to my coworkers about pop culture. I love talking to you about pop culture. I also love talking to my regular co-host, Callie, about pop culture, but she is not here today. Who is here today is such a super special guest. I feel verklempt even sitting across from her. I cannot wait to do this podcast. Joining me is someone who has made me feel so seen and so heard and so represented in pop culture as few other people ever have before in my whole life. Lindy West is an opinion writer for the New York Times. She's the author of the best-selling memoir, Shrill, which made me both laugh and cry, both of them, and the new book, The Witches Are Coming, which exposes all the misogynist fuckery that has come squealing to the surface because of the Me Too movement, and... She executive produces and writes the acclaimed Hulu series based on her memoir, Shrill, which just kicked off season two on January 24th. I'm so excited to have her on Pop-Tarts at last. Welcome, Lindy West. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yay, you're here. I've been such a fan of yours for such a long time. As I said, when you came in, I've been coordinating all of your appearances in Bust Magazine over the years, but I have not actually sat face-to-face with you ever before until now because you live in Seattle. I do. And I live in New York, and we meet at last. I know. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coordinating my appearances in Bust Magazine. Each one I have cherished. Yes. Um, And it is so great to meet you. (laughs) I'm wondering for some of our audiences who are not, some of the Pop-Tarts audience who are not in the cult of Lindy West yet but they will be at the end of this hour can you i know so rude (laughs) how dare you literally turn off now no i want you to tell them just a little bit about your journey from being like a a plucky young uh internet writer to the multimedia mogul that you are today so i went to college and i got an english degree and i didn't have anywhere near the confidence to say that i wanted to be a writer you know i just was like i don't know i like reading I guess I'll get this English degree. I wasn't one of those kids that was like, had big dreams and knew what she wanted to do. I was just like, I don't know. I guess I'll, I guess I'll go back to my day, my summer job as a cashier uh, after college. And, and so I did, which I like actually. I mean, obviously retail uh, is, is hellish, but um, also it's fun making, I like to make change. And I like to like (laughs) test my small talk stamina. Like I, I do kind of miss like the performance of retail where you, I feel like you learn a lot about yourself and how to kind of, um, function under duress, which, um, is an important skill anyway. But eventually you, you became a mogul anyway. Yeah. But so I would be there at the, at the, you know, at the cash register and I'd be thinking like, maybe I should be a mogul. Yeah. (laughs) Instead no um i didn't i had no i i am let's be let's clarify that i am not a mogul (laughs) i don't know what's the entry point like when do you become a mogul i don't know like maybe if you have a whole press junket dedicated to you (laughs) and your life and your project project and it's like in a super fancy hotel where like so many publicists are running around shuttling you to all the different media outlets because that's how important you are in pop culture oh my god i am i a mogul (laughs) I am a mogul. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, okay, I'll take it. But yeah, so I was I was working at City Peoples after college. I, I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do next? You know, uh, what's my career going to be? And um, a friend of mine from high school who had interned at the Stranger, which is the Alt Weekly in Seattle, she, which I was obsessed with. I mean, I you know I grew up reading the Stranger, and I. I loved The Stranger. And when I was in college um, in L.A., I would, you know, have people like have my mom mail me 
you know, the last few weeks of The Stranger. Um, like, I mean, you could read it online, but like I wanted the physical copies so yeah. that I could cut things out. Like I was obsessed. And a friend of mine had interned there and she was like, you should intern there. And I was like, I can't. I'm boring and bad. And she was like, <laughs> no, I think you'd, they'd really like you. You'd be great. And I was like, no. And then she cut out a little ad for me that she found in the stranger that they were seeking interns and she gave it to me and I still have it. It's in my room. She was like, you should just apply. And I was like, uh, fine. And I did. And I was hired for some reason to be the, the theater intern. I don't know why they picked me. Cause I, I, I was especially at that time, like so shy. And I, I'm sure I was not dazzling in my interview, but Maybe I was the only applicant, I don't know. <laughs> but for some reason they hired me. And when I say hired, it was unpaid. So they allowed me to work for them for free, yeah. do, do data entry for free. As did busts when I started with them. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Um, th- th- that continued for like two months. No one talked to me. I talked to no one. I snuck in and out like a little mouse. And, um, and then at the at very end of my internship, because it's just a certain number of weeks, clearly there was some kind of rule that you have to give the intern something to do at some point that like enriches them (laughs) yeah because my editor was like okay weirdo uh like silent corner demon (laughs) like (laughs) you can go watch this play and you can write 75 words about it for the calendar section Uh which is not even like it means it's like in tiny font Uh after the real theater (laughs) reviews there will be like tiny blurbs she was like you can write a tiny blurb of this play and i was like oh my god okay i'm ready okay and and i was like you know what this is my chance and i'm gonna fucking do it and i went to the play which was a one-woman show about katherine hepburn starring kate mulgrew (gasps) um i don't know why they didn't way i know and she was fantastic uh although i knew nothing about theater or anything but I, i i I remember I went to the play and I took notes and then I went home and I was like, okay, I'm going to fucking nail this. This is going to be the greatest 75 words ever penned. Yeah. And it's probably to this day, the piece of writing that I've worked hardest on. (laughs) (laughs) I like stayed up all night making it. And I was like, and I just remember thinking like, okay, what does a theater review sound like? Yeah. Um, and I tried to make it like that. But I also, even then in my very first little piece, like my voice is in there and I somehow instinctively knew how to write in my voice, even while sort of fulfilling this task and, and making something that fit with the paper, but also was me. And I sort of know now that I'm older and that I've been an editor and I've edited a lot of people that that's kind of a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't usually get, I I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I just absolutely true. Somehow I just, somehow I, I, I instinct instinctually did, did this thing that has now, you know, blossomed into my whole career. And my, I sent it to my editor who had just taken no notice of me this whole time, like these months. And she was like, oh, (laughs) she was like, you wrote this? This is really good. Like, this is actually good. And I was like, really? And, uh, and then she gave me another little assignment and another little assignment. And, you know, I was paid for like 25 bucks each or whatever, um, which was thrilling. And, and then, you know, a couple, a month or so into it, I was like, suddenly I'm a freelance theater critic. Again, literally know nothing uh-huh. about theater. <laughs> Not qualified, but I was a human being with opinions, and I guess that makes you kind of qualified. And then my editor, who was the theater editor, became the film editor, and then she started assigning me movie reviews. And that was really where it started to like take off for me like I I was a lot more confident writing about movies and I started to have a lot more fun with it and then eventually she left that job and they hired me to be the film editor and I was like what excuse me (laughs) and oh and during this time I had left City People's I was at City People's for a long time and I was like going to plays at night and working as a cashier during the day and then I got a job 
um, an actual, like my first real publishing job, um, I worked for Where Magazine, which is the free... Where? Where? Like, where am I? The free magazine that you get in your hotel. Um, I worked for Where Seattle, um, writing the same you have to the thing about a magazine for tourists is that you have to write the same magazine every month but like figure out a new way to be like you should try the space needle it's great (laughs) um and that job sucked really bad um but it was a great learning experience i mean i got really good at you know filling column space what you know finding something to say which is so much of publishing especially (laughs) and that was like pre-blogging and it's like more valid than ever that that skill because you just have to feed the blog all the time yeah and so yeah and then uh so i was working there and then i got hired full-time at the stranger and it changed my life completely and then i worked at the stranger um full-time for i don't know three or four more years and then i started to get all these national freelance offers and i was like i wonder if i could do that you yeah. know if i like i loved working at the stranger but it's hard you know you don't make a lot of money and you have to especially once they started the i was there when they started the blog and suddenly everyone's workload quadrupled because it's like you still have to make the physical paper every week you have to write which was already a full-time job making a paper we have to make a newspaper and then suddenly you have this insatiable daily platform where everyone's expected to write like five posts a day to keep the blog going and you're like but i already had a full-time job called newspaper making right right (laughs) um and and so it was pretty it became pretty grueling and i and i wanted to see if if i if i could make i don't know make a move and like start writing on a national level and so i quit just kind of took a leap i didn't have a plan um and then i don't know six months later Jezebel called like cold called me you know Jessica Cohen the editor at the time was like hey I've been reading you in the stranger and I think you'd be a good fit and you can work remotely you don't have to move to New York you can stay in Seattle and I was like great nice and then and your years at Jezebel were I many consider the golden age of (gasps) jazz that's nice I I was there 2012 through 2014 it it was a really really great learning experience it's the place where I I finally got the confidence to start writing about politics you know at the stranger I wrote about movies and I wrote about goofy stuff and I was like a goofy gal Uh (laughs) Um, really just trying to be like a humor writer trying to make people laugh and at Jezebel um, they wanted me to be funny but they also um really pushed me to be political and to be you know to to think about myself as uh as a feminist writer and and what do i want to accomplish what is the you know potential for for using my voice what could i um and what's the responsibility that goes with that you know i have this Mm -hmm. platform um what am i going to do with it which is you know i think a really important question that everyone should be thinking about and that I certainly think about more and more as I've moved into writing books and making this TV show. Um, what do you want to accomplish? Has it changed? It's a hard question because I certainly hope that um, what people take away from my writing is a call to be more honest and more fair, um, to take care of other people, to hold yourself accountable, um, you know, to, to be curious and permeable and to change and grow. You know, I think that's all stuff that I learned over the course of this journey. Um, you know, where when I was at The Stranger, I was just trying to make people laugh at any cost you know and I was like being edgy and I was mean and snotty and I wrote some stuff that I'm really proud of but I wrote other stuff that is mortifying and um so I I sort of write a lot about those ideas like how do we evolve as thinkers and how do we like graciously allow each other to evolve while still holding each other accountable Mm -hmm. um because you know you can be sort of you know stridently holding people accountable but what's the point if you don't also 
let them make amends and grow and change. I mean, isn't that what we're asking for? So that's something that I think about a lot in my writing and that I write about, you know, how can we, um, how can we move forward? How can we move forward? All of us. And how can we, um, I don't know. I, I try to take challenging concepts and make them funny so that people, I can trick people into swallowing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to be like <laughs> as likable as I can for the same reason. You know, if you're going to talk about stuff that makes people wildly uncomfortable, like um, it's okay to be fat and it, you know, it's okay to have abortions and <laughs> Uh, you know, all the stuff that I Not harp all rape jokes are funny. Yeah, but like all the stuff that I harp on and on about, there are people who would sort of instinctively push back, but if you can like make them laugh and be funny and be someone that they want to be around, whether it's even if it's just digitally, even if it's just reading their words, I think that that's really powerful. So I just try to be like an irresistibly charming lady who says scary stuff about abortion all the time. <laughs> But it's like not only abortion. I mean, you make women who are round feel like they can be the main character of a TV show, and like, like we can be the main characters of our own fucking lives. Yeah, like it's it's major and it's revolutionary, and it shouldn't be at this point in human culture, and yet it is. And I think it's a really big deal. Thank you. It definitely is to me. Like I just burst out crying watching shrill when it first came out like i couldn't believe like that it was real thank you so much (laughs) yeah i'm really really proud of it um and that's i mean it's the same thing too it's like writing about being fat um i always had the same thought that it's like if i can draw people into my writing by making it a piece of entertainment Uh uh-huh um when i'm writing about stuff that's not about about my body if I'm you know I I spent years like writing funny movie reviews and writing like you know goofy pop culture analysis and then you know I I sort of built this body of of fans and then to be able to be like also I'm fat haha (laughs) you know like (laughs) oh did you you thought that you don't like fat people well you do because you like me I tricked you (laughs) you know obviously I I can't do that anymore because I've now put my my face my profile out there so publicly but um certainly at the beginning i remember thinking you know there's just there, it's such a such a you know satisfying way to subvert yeah. stereotypes is to is to make people like you and then be like surprise surprise bitches. i'm yeah. a big fat lady um <laughs> but yeah i uh you know i always i've said this a million times but i just wrote the book that i needed to read Yes. And I made the show that I always needed to see. And, and coincidentally, um, it's also the book and show that a lot of other people like me needed to read and see. Well, I'm so glad, you know. I mean, of course it is. Like, it's not like I, I, it's not like the book is about how I had this incredibly unique experience that no one else has ever had, you know. It's like. But you tell it in a way that's so unique and oh, special thanks. to you. Yeah, but I mean, the point is like, there's so many people living the same life where you're told that. Um, you have to wait for your life to start that you're not worthy of happiness or equality or joy or romantic fulfillment or financial success or professional success unless you um, you know carve yourself into this one specific body which is an impossible task for you know most fat people we literally everyone in our entire society is being fed that line our whole lives Mm -hmm. whether you're fat or not you're still if you're thin you're still living under that same fear of becoming fat because you know that fat people don't get to be happy right (laughs) you know and so i'm not saying that i made the show for those people but but the the whole point is that it's um i think it is universal in a really in a really visceral way because everyone is either um, fat or not, and everyone and everyone has feelings about it. Everyone's either way. fucked up about it yes. either way. You know, like I, I am not a public person at all. I like get to be around girl type type typing away, and and for the most part, nobody knows what I look like. But like, I remember just like this one time, 
I like put up a picture of me selling subscriptions to bust at a bust event. And I was like, I'm slinging subs at the bust event. Come say hi. And like, it was literally minutes before a stranger was like, it looks like you're eating subs at the bust event. <laughs> and I was like, literally I was on the social meds for like a yeah. second. And it's nothing, just the tiniest, tiniest representation of what you have experienced. Like, yeah. The minute you started opening your mouth, it's I a mean, big part of your memoir. It's a big part of the show, Shrill. And I'm so curious as to, it was a big part of when you went on NPR and and uh, totally confronted your troll on national public radio and he broke down about all of his own like feelings of inadequacy that led to him trolling you. Like what, I'm dying to know what your troll situation is now. I feel like a lot of them are just fucking eating shit. I need to know how the troll chatter has changed in relation to your meteoric success. Oh my God. Am I meteoric success to mogul from cashier to mogul? Um, so I left Twitter and I quit Facebook. Um, not because of trolls, but kind of because like I quit Twitter because I think that Donald Trump is a troll and it's <laughs> wild to me that that you know um harassing private citizens isn't a violation of the terms of service like it's just like became really clear to me that Twitter has no interest in protecting its users and I think that it's uh really unethical and I don't want to support that company with my presence mm-hmm. um it just feels I just felt like I had I was like I got to go and also it was just a fire hose of garbage you know i I, it was so exhausting every morning like turning my phone on and to see like oh what horrible shit has you know accumulated in here overnight so i quit twitter great decision i mean maybe not for my career i don't know it's possible that it had some detrimental effect on my ability to promote my work and make professional connections i don't know there's no way to know because i'm not there yeah but emotionally it's been fantastic um and then i also quit facebook just because i was like oh my god i am wasting so much of my life (laughs) like arguing with my friend's mom's cousin right about the economy like what am i doing (laughs) this is like absolutely this is nothing this is a void that is sucking my time away Uh when i could be watching tv or spending time with my family or working or whatever mostly watching tv and an interesting thing is that that i that i found is that you know when i removed myself from those platforms twitter especially the harassment almost entirely stopped and it's because you know and to, to me that says that this behavior is to some extent dependent on this platform mm-hmm. you know like twitter they're lazy they're not gonna like go out of their way to find you outside of that right and and twitter is has become essentially like a video game you know where the 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 game is to stalk and harass and torture marginalized people for fun and to encourage and reward each other for doing it the best Mm -hmm. and donald trump is part of that which is very wild to think about um and I just, I think that's really telling that it's not about my ideas. It's about having them having access to me, you know? And yeah. if you take that access away, suddenly I'm not this like, you know, feminist um, boogeyman. I'm, I'm just gone. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There, it, It's like, it just felt like a real confirmation that, Twitter is fucking toxic. Like Mm -hmm. the structure of it is fundamentally broken and it absolutely fosters and encourages and rewards this kind of behavior. Yeah. And that's so gross to me and it made it really easy to stay away. Um, I'm on Instagram and I get, you know, maybe a couple troll comments a month. Yeah, but it's not as troll friendly at all. No, because it's like the interface is bad. Like <laughs> you can't find any comments. You can't like, find anything or do anything. Yeah, like <laughs> all you do is scroll people's weddings. Yeah, which is great. I love not being able to interact with people. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, and so like Instagram, fine. Although I, it's like 
I know that like Facebook's very bad. It's all evil, you know, and Instagram's part of Facebook and yeah, yeah, really yeah. ethically I should get off Instagram too, but um, I don't know. I work from home. I don't even have coworkers. <laughs> like, yeah. I gotta have some kind of like tether. Give a bitch to, a break. I mean, but it, it, it is satisfying. You know, the worst ones, the high profile ones, the ones who really were after me for a long time, they're still very aware that I exist and that I have a television show and that I have a cool and fun life. <laughs> and it is satisfying to Eat know it. that they know that. Yeah. And I and I I do get troll comments, you know, um, once in a while that that are like, I hate that this bitch has a has cool a, and fun life, a cool <laughs> and fun life, basically. And it's like, I know, I know you do, yeah, because yours is bad. Oh, bless your heart. Oh no. Um, so that's very satisfying. I like that. You know who's really good at personifying what a cool and fun life you have? It's Aidy Bryant. I need to know so many things about the creative synergistic explosion that is you and A.D. Bryant. Um, I I feel like everybody at some point has wondered if there was a show or a movie about my life, who would I choose to play me? And you actually got to do that in real life and I wanna know how you did it. Was there ever any any suggestion of you playing yourself did you come up with a list of people how did she do it and how do you teach her how to be you and is she being you or is it not you tell me all the things there was no serious discussion of me playing myself i mean they definitely asked uh at the beginning like Uh um the the various production companies that worked on the show people were like okay so do you want to play yourself or should we cast someone you're very vivacious and charming and who's better (sighs) to play you you than you but also she does a great job well i don't know how to act at all truly not fit to be an extra like i i had a little cameo in in shrill season one where all i had to do was like walk across the frame and i'm like a like a you know um malfunctioning robot like i like can't (laughs) i cannot be a human being on camera so i was like definitely not um and you know 80 was our top choice from the beginning uh just because she's so funny but she has this like inherent sweetness Mm -hmm. to her that is really important to the character you know a, a huge part of this character um and this sounds so self-aggrandizing since it's based on me but you know she's really nice yeah you know like i try to just i i try to be a really nice person like i try to just in my daily life be a generous person a forgiving person a person who listens and takes care of other people and and we wanted annie you know to the point where it's like to my detriment where i don't have boundaries and i like don't take care of myself and and I, that's okay that sounds like that job interview like question like i care too much but um you know, this is the thing we explore in the show it's like okay if people don't people hate me because of my body if i could just be like the nicest person on earth yeah. maybe that'll be enough and mm-hmm. they'll like me and they'll you know right they'll want to have me around destroy my life yeah and so you know that's always been a thing that <laughs> that i that i do um for good and bad you know um and and 80 is she just has this like kindness in her her demeanor and her her affect and uh that that really works for that character that that i think is really uh important and at the same time she's so funny we 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 really from the start wanted to make a really really funny comedy but you weren't friends beforehand no so you're friends now yeah yeah definitely i mean we've we've now made two seasons of tv together um we co-created this show and um we're both in the writer's room and we're both on set every day it's it's been it's been a really amazing learning experience for me and um and yeah she's fantastic in every way she's a perfect um angel lives up to the hype i would say <laughs> um and we found that to be true when she was on the cover of bust magazine we oh, thought good she's an absolute angel baby in yeah, every way she really is um but yeah we she was our top choice and um and then it turned out that she had read the book and so she actually when the announcement went out that the book had been optioned 
um, she reached out to us oh. and was like, oh, hey, I, you know, I'm I'm interested in this project. And we were like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you are absolutely our top choice. We didn't think it would be possible because of her SNL schedule, right. but she was able to, to make it work because she really wanted to do it. And it's just... You know, the show, I, I don't know that the show would have gotten made without her. She's such an important part. And the show certainly wouldn't have been what it is without AD. She's, I, I, oh, and and the character is is such a, a composite. You know, it's really not me, which is nice. It's not mm-hmm. a biopic about me. It's a fictional show about a character that we created together in the writer's room. And that AD brings a lot of her own personality to. And, you know, she, AD's involved in every single aspect of the show mm-hmm. she's making decisions about wardrobe um she's looking at props she's um you know she's she's meeting with directors she's she's so thoughtful and thorough and she has really great instincts and i'm just like over the moon about having you know having getting to work with her on this project it's mm-hmm. been really it's been really fun and special i love it and i feel affirmed by A.D. Bryant running around TV in her underpants in a way that I can't recall being affirmed in a long time by pop culture. There's something about the the way that sex is portrayed on the show that moves me so deeply. And um, I just feel, I've, I've said this on this podcast multiple times, that like, stop the presses, fat women have sex and like we're not running around in these streets begging for sex like people see us and are attracted to us and want to have sex with us because there's a lid for every pot and people like all kinds of things but they're told they're only allowed to like one thing so like i i have 99 problems finding someone who wants to have sex with me is not one but what is a problem is finding someone who both wants to have sex with me and wants to be seen out and about with me in public and be proud of me and introduce me to all the people and um it took me a long time to find the handsome man sitting behind me luscious logan our recording engineer who uh treated me in a way that felt very nice and special um it took a lot of um you know really standing up for what i wanted and for what i feel like i was worth and I remember reading the parts in your book that um, cert- that are also part of the show, but in different ways about like having people um, hit on your hot man like right next to you. Um, that's happened to me. I, I get a lot of like teeth sucking when uh, Logan and I are out in the street together, you know, and um I feel like the show touches on that in like such a compassionate way, like in such a real, it's so rare to even see round women getting centered in a show and it's extra rare to see them having sex. Then on top of that, it's really rare to show them having sex with hot ass men. And then on top of that, you don't get the whole like societal weirdness around the fact that that is the truth of many round women's lives. I don't know if there's a question in there. I'm just letting you know that it's just like concentric circles of impact that that part of the show is having. And I wonder how important the sex stuff is when you're creating the show. Yeah, it was really, really important from the beginning um, to, to, you know, have Annie have a, a fun sex life. Yeah. You know, obviously her romantic life is messed up in many ways and complicated and, and bad and in certain ways. But, um, if there's one thing that is good in her relationship with Ryan, it's that they like having sex with each other and it's fun and sexy and she's happy about it. Yeah. Um, and that's not something I ever, I mean, I don't remember seeing fat people having sex on TV or in movies except as a joke yeah ever 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 i mean ever. i still think about this is i'm like still traumatized by that part in uh i don't know why this is the thing that my brain like fixated on and like never healed from but um that part in road trip where the guy holds up the giant underpants of yes. the fat woman that he slept with 
and it's like hilarious right so, you know and i remember being like that's what my underpants, that's my look, underpants like. look like i guess i'm a fucking joke like how embarrassing you know and and in the and I, I mean this is my very vague recollection of the movie road trip from watching it 20 years ago but um i re- feel like in the movie like the guy really desired this woman yeah, and yeah. It, like that was real but he had to make a joke it, it has be- to be embarrassing for him it has to be like a humiliation for him and uh, you know i was I, scarred by in the the greeting card section like the sexy fat lady birthday cards oh yeah I remember there was like a whole section of them yeah. like of fat ladies being sexy and that was like i got you something for your birthday buddy yeah ha ha um yeah and and so and of course that doesn't reflect reality right um it's you know and we know that for many reasons we know that because fat people exist and have partners and have babies and and (laughs) And make more fat people (laughs) right and we also know like because there's data like we know what porn people watch like i mean obviously this is it's ludicrous to act like no one's having sex with fat people um but and also that on that fat people only have sex with fat people which is also what they show on tv like mike and molly and all that stuff exactly and you know it's kind of fraught like because i don't want to i don't want to do the thing i don't want to perpetuate the thing that i'm protesting which is like having our fat main character only be attracted to thin men right but but she's attracted to a variety of men yeah yeah it it was important to not just have another couple on tv where both of them are are either both of them are fat or both of them are thin and everyone has to have the exact same body type as their partner right right or else it's like you know we've fallen through a dimensional rift (laughs) like (laughs) uh so yeah it was i mean i think um shooting sex scenes is is weird and and awkward like so it's just a a bizarre thing to do once you're actually there and you're like oh these are like people that i know who are friends (laughs) and like in other relationships and then you're like oh now they have to kiss each other and it suddenly becomes so real and it's like oh man no one should ever do this but um it's it, it at the same time i mean you just could feel how important it is to yeah. put it out there and and what an impact i mean and, and it would have had such an impact on me to just present it with such you know it's just it's just sexy yeah it's not a joke it's Aidy not- bright and her underpants is hot like deal with it world i am so mad that i couldn't get that fenty bra in my size oh my god (sighs) so you're a feminist icon you have been an outspoken feminist people are like noted feminist lindy west for a long time i'm wondering how making a tv show about your life based on your life has in any if it has in any way altered your feminism made you consider your feminist journey differently made you a different kind of feminist informed your feminism in any way i certainly my understanding of feminism changes all the time just as i learn more about the world and and about my own priorities and my own failings um you know i think it's really easy to it was really easy in my 20s to be this like very sort of stringent uh unforgiving hard line sort of this behavior is acceptable this behavior isn't strident yeah like and that felt really powerful yeah and i'm and now that i'm getting close to 40 i'm kind of you know i still obviously i still believe those things like you know google it yourself stop asking me questions <laughs> like, <laughs> uh you know like i still ha- have the sort of instinct to like uh sometimes to to rip people to shreds for messing something up but at the same time i've learned so much about what i didn't know since then mm. that um and also that like as a very very privileged white woman how productive is it for me 
to be sort of sneering at people who, you know, don't know all the jargon or who are, are, are clumsily trying and failing to, to be a more responsible uh, a person, a, a more, you know, um, politically and, and culturally sensitive person. Uh, I feel like it's, it's actually probably my job as an extremely privileged white woman to be the person who takes on the burden of interacting with those people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and sort of fostering that growth rather than, um, tell them to Google it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. I just feel like I'm, I'm getting softer, I guess. <laughs> um, and I don't mean that I'm getting like more forgiving of, of shitty behavior, mm-hmm. but just that I think, uh, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I just I feel tired. I wonder if maybe it has to do with like I know just having the chance to sit across from you. I want to pour my heart out to you about Aww. how you know like all the things that I've experienced and how my life connects with what I've read about your life and all those things. Like I imagine that you're getting that a lot in the world. Oh, I mean yes. <laughs> so yeah. it's got to soften a lady up, right? To have people pouring their hearts out. Oh, to you. for sure. I mean, every day people come up to me on the street and cry and tell me about their most painful experiences. <laughs> for sure and and like you know um i don't this is a a, i I don't i wish i don't totally understand even what i'm trying to say because i'm certainly not saying like oh we should coddle racist white people because they're just a little behind or something Uh i don't think that i don't think that i don't think that you know shitty um men who abuse their power just need to be taken by the hand and and like gently coaxed into being good people i don't think that that's how that works i don't think that's how how systems work Uh but um i think that there is a margin where there are people who want to be better Mm -hmm. who i used to (laughs) yell at (laughs) and chase off and now you might and now i'm kind of like more of a sherpa yeah yeah that's cool well, I don't know. May, may also, I'm just saying that. When when am I actually doing that? <laughs> I believe you. I got the the five minute mark, knowing that oh, you have okay. to leave very soon. This is like the fastest hour of I know. Spent talking I can talk in my to life. you forever. I love talking to you, Lindy West. I cannot wait to talk to you some more. But first, we're going to take the briefest of breaks for a couple of little ads, and then I'll be back with more Lindy West. Hey, podcast fans. Did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad-free is Stitcher Premium? They've got Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine The Lost Trail, Bitch Sesh, The Fantasy Footballers, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more, all without commercial interruptions. And we can hook you up with a sweet deal. To get one month free, go to stitcher.com premium and use promo code POPTARTS. That's stitcher.com slash premium promo code pop tarts. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious, and I knew would make great podcasts, and every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We dockets. all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams. 
I'm Caitlin I'm Bradley Smith. <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German Russian heiress and she seems like she has a lot of money and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Which amazing. Was so smart. I mean, so like, smart. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. Um, I need to know from you before you go a question that I ask every single guest on Pop Tarts, which is what you're watching. And when I say what you're watching, I'm talking, it's very broad movies, TV, books, podcasts, the writing on the bathroom wall, if there's music, music videos, if there's any kind of pop culture that you're consuming, we want to know because it's probably very cool. Lindy West, what you're watching? Guys, grocery games. <laughs> With Guy Fieri. <laughs> exclusively i only watch a guy's grocery <laughs> games i can't stop watching it i wrote about it in my book because i can't like i'm like i started watching it as a joke <laughs> and then now it's not a joke and then now i can't there's something so comforting about it it's so formulaic he says the same eight bad it's like jokes supermarket sweep kind of right it's like supermarket sweep it's like <laughs> it's it's like chopped but in a grocery store and then guy is it on food network it's on food network and it's like they always have like a wacky constraint like oh you can only shop in aisle six (gasps) and that's dog food or whatever (laughs) and then or it's like okay you have to make a three-course meal in 20 minutes but you can only use this a grocery cart made for a doll that's six inches high. Like, and I've like, never seen the show, but it sounds amazing. I mean, it's it's absurd, and the all the food is, looks bad. You know, like <laughs> I, I, I I'm so baffled and yet delighted by this like unshakable trend of food shows where they make it impossible for the people to make good food. <laughs> they're like yeah there's so many shoes where the shows where the food is so bad either like okay you have nine minutes to make thanksgiving dinner <laughs> like why <laughs> why <laughs> why don't you <laughs> yeah like what can people make if you just let them fucking make it right i would love to watch that show yeah i, I mean, want like, the great non-timed british, show great british bake-off approaches that sometimes because they at least give them like five hours yeah um but like <laughs> guys grocery games is literally like you have 20 minutes you have eight dollars and you can only buy ingredients that start with p that's like you can only cook with your left hand that's literally like a thing that they do um it's incredible the third person i think in the last couple of months who has said that they started liking guy fieri ironically and that there's some kind of sea change in the air where people are legitimately liking him now he is he's pure likability like he, and he wears just, sunglasses on the back of his head. He wears backwards sunglasses. He's got the hair and the goatee. Every, all of his clothes have flames on them. Flavortown. He's the mayor of Flavortown. <laughs> have you been to his restaurant here that got like the I thought very it closed? Didn't oh, it? maybe it did. Because I, I just read like the the world's craziest flame the, review of it. The famous, yeah, the famous, the famous review. I know. Um, I read that, but I have not been. I mean, that was before my my guy uh, Fieri super fan days. Got um, it. But yeah, I don't know. There, there, there's just in these dark times, there uh-huh. is something so simple about Guy Fieri. Uh huh. He because like he doesn't even talk about food in a complex way. He's literally like, oh yeah, oh it's like it's salty you got like the salty from the meat but then you got like the sweet from the bread and then that's it's just like you that's the real deal that's just the real deal it doesn't get it doesn't get better than that oh boy oh boy and then and then it'll be like i'm just gonna uh i'm just gonna take some of this with me real quick and then he'll like grab a handful of ham and like walk out like it's just like yeah it's just like so pure and and he's just he's just pumped 
just pumped all the time he he thinks he's always like pranking the contestants do you think the minute he's off camera he like crawls into a wardrobe and cries I don't think so. I think he's really a nice man. <laughs> and he's pumped all the time. He's just pumped. He's like mega corny. <laughs> like <laughs> just like redefining corny in a profound way that is so pure. I don't know. You know, uh, who knows what will what dark secrets we'll discover about Guy. But it hasn't happened yet. So I am just watching. So maybe there aren't any. I'm not making allegations. I'm just saying like we've like lost every hero in the last year. Uh-huh. But um, as of right now, this guy's grocery games is my medicine. And um, it's perfect. Well, there you have it. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. I am so ecstatic to have finally met you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having you me. You took up residence in my heart long ago, and I knew this day would come, and here it is at last. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I had the best time. So Lindy West just left, and that was great. I was so happy to finally meet her. She is the best. She is everything that you would ever want a Lindy West to be, and I hope you enjoyed that talk. Thanks so much to our producers, Kate Moldenauer and Jesse Karen at More Banana Productions, our luscious audio engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente, Logan. Especially because he set this episode up uh, outside of our normal setting at Bust HQ today. This was recorded at the beautiful Beekman Hotel, and we appreciate them as well. Um, Also, thank you to our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and uh, on the gram, I'm Rems Emily because some evil person took my name on the gram. Um, You cannot find my normal beautiful co-host Callie on the socials because she does not want to be found, but you can email us both. I'm at emilyrems at bus.com and Callie is at calliew at bus.com. And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts, where you can also sign up for our newsletter, which will tell you all kinds of uh, feminist pop culture picks every week. You can also sign up for a subscription to Bust Magazine, uh, which is the greatest magazine ever made in the history of time, in my unbiased opinion. And it also really, really helps support this podcast. If you love this podcast and you want to support this podcast, get a subscription for Bust Magazine. Buy your friends a subscription to Bust Magazine. That's the best way to help us out. Also, if you're curious about Bust Magazine and want to wrangle yourself a free subscription, you could try rating and reviewing this podcast. If you go to Apple Podcasts, go to the section with ratings and reviews and write something nice about this podcast, and then use one of those emails, emilyremza at bus.com, kallyw at bus.com, and say, hey, my handle is beekman123, and I just wrote a great review of your podcast on Apple Podcasts. If we see that you did it, then we can send you a free subscription to Bust. It's just that easy. So um, those are all the different ways that you can help us. I hope you will consider one of them. And uh, it really helps us get the word out. We super duper appreciate you. Until next time. Mwah!